0: We're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, the cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation.
1: Thanks, Caleb. It would be really handy to keep your Bible open there at 1 Peter 2. Uh, Particularly, we're going to be focusing this morning on just two verses, uh, verses 9 and 10 there. Now, I I wonder um, what your reaction is uh, when you are confronted by poverty. Uh, by extreme poverty, whether that's in Australia or whether it's overseas. Uh, Before we had kids, Tracy and I, we we visited uh, some different places around the world and some of the most poorest countries on the globe, uh, places like Zambia and Malawi. And when you do that, it's hard not to be impacted or struck by the inequity that there exists in wealth. Um, You know, you do things like you leave your wedding ring and your engagement ring Behind, before you go, because you realise that in a small band, um, you have more wealth and possessions than many people could hope to accumulate in their lives. Um, You carry in your backpack uh, items of value that could be worth uh, weeks or months of someone's wage. In fact, the backpack itself uh, is worth a tremendous amount. We live, we live in a world, don't we, of, of great. Inequity when it comes to the distribution of wealth and you don't have to go overseas to do that Uh, If you've spent any time in the op shop uh, Dealing with people you will have come across this if we've got our eyes open to the community around us. We will see this And when that happens, it's hard Not to be moved by it It's hard to walk uh, by without an impact You begin to wonder why it is that we are so relatively well-off, or rich is probably the better word, and what it is we can do to help others. This morning, we're going to be thinking about our riches, but quite a different form of riches. Not riches in terms of material wealth, how much we have in the bank, or how much we've got at home but the riches that we have in Christ. We are incredibly rich people when we come to know Jesus. We have the treasure of the gospel. Uh, We have every spiritual blessing in him. Even the book of 1 Peter begins by reminding us that we have uh, an inheritance kept in heaven for us and we are being kept for it and today we're going to think about what the purpose there is in all that riches and all that wealth so far in this series we've been thinking through various aspects of the life and the ministry of the church and one of the things that we've noted on many different occasions that Who we are and what we're called to do and be, it flows directly from the Lord Jesus himself. Who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. And today is going to be certainly the same. And next week too, as we begin to wrap up the series by thinking about our place in the wider world. Now, originally I had planned to preach uh, from all four verses here, 9 to 12. Uh, but I realize that we're starting at 11, and people want to go home for lunch at some point. So uh, we've cut that back today to just verses 9 and 10. And then next week, we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. And I have to say that, that this passage um, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, I love these verses because they are, they are big picture verses. Uh, They speak so clearly and so wonderfully of God's eternal purposes and plans and particularly how we as a church fit into those plans and purposes. We're going to be looking today then, of course, at at who we are as a church and what we are here for. And then next week we're going to look a little bit more about how we function then. So let's start then by looking at who we are. And we're starting here in verse 9, if you have a look. And verse 9 starts with a very small word. It starts with but, but you. And it starts that way because it's making a comparison between us and others. And if you have a look back at verses eight and verse 8 in particular, uh, Peter, who is the writer here, has been talking about those who do not believe in Jesus. He says in verse eight that Jesus has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, he says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And he's talking here about the sad, sorry state for all those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus, who don't believe that he is the Son of God, and who do not trust in him. And they says he says for them Jesus is a stone of stumbling. In fact they will face judgment for that. And this is an awful reality that for all those who do not acknowledge Jesus as God, who do not put their trust in him for their salvation. But you, he says. Because he's going to go and talk on about a different group of people now. He's going on to talk about the church. And look at what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, if you're a person that's been around in church circles and hearing lots of sermons for lots of years, there are probably lots of words and phrases in that that sound really familiar, like you've heard them before. And that's probably true. And if you're only reading around churches for a little while, there's some phrases in there that sound a little bit weird. We don't often refer to ourselves as uh, a chosen race uh, or a, a royal priesthood. But it's important for us to realize that in the context of the Bible, these words and these phrases, they are loaded terms. They say so much. And they are often used to describe God's people. Particularly, they were words used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to just actually turn with me to a passage just really quickly. Uh, back in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, if you want to open up there. I just want to read two verses. Verses 5 and 6. And... As we read through them, see if you can pick up some of the similarities of what's going on here. In Exodus 19, we have uh, Israel, uh, God's people, just being rescued up out of Egypt. Uh, God's incredibly and miraculously rescued them from Egypt and he's brought them into, out of slavery and crossed the Red Sea. And he's just about to give them the Ten Commandments, how they are to live then in response. And listen to what he says. Now therefore, if you would indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, uh, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, notice the similarities there? Almost all of the phrases that are used in one Peter are used back here in Exodus. Because God Peter, as he writes this, is saying something really important. You are now the people of God. Everything that Israel was to God, you, the church, now are. What are we? Well, I want to highlight three of those phrases to start with. He says, firstly, there in verse 9, you are a chosen race. Now, We do have to be a little bit careful here uh, with that word race uh, because it's not really talking about ethnicity uh, like we would normally talk about when we talk about race. It's a word that's being borrowed from the Old Testament or from Israel. One nation, one people out of all the peoples of the earth who belong to God. But now he's saying, you the church, coming from every tribe, every nation, every language, every race, you are a chosen race to God. And notice that word chosen there. You have been chosen by God to be his people. The book of Ephesians says that we were chosen before the creation of the world, predestined according to the purpose and his will. And it's important for us to remember that we're not chosen because we're better or because we have more potential. When God talked about Israel in the Old Testament, he said this. He said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. That choosing finds its origin in the will and the love of God. Second phrase want to have notice it's the last one out of four there where it talks about us being a people for his own possession we we belong to him that that's what possession means doesn't it when when something's your possession it means you own it it belongs to you 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 care for it you you look after it that that's what we are to God his possession and his loved possession and his treasured possession and notice that it also says that we are a people for his possession for his own possession not just individuals but in christ we who were scattered and distant and away have been brought together we're a nation race a people all right last phrase we want to have a look at there you are a holy nation Here again, there's that idea of people and nationhood, isn't it? A a group together. One people under one God with with one king, the Lord Jesus. But notice that it says we are a holy nation. Made holy. Pure. Cleansed. Just like Isaiah in that passage was, was made holy by the work of God. We are a people who have been made holy in Christ. Our sin has been forgiven. It's been washed away. Our guilt has been removed. Our punishment has been taken by Christ. Verse 10 goes on to put it this way. It says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Made holy by the mercies of God who in Christ has taken away our sin once and for all. Now most days, uh, you and I, all of us, will at least briefly um, have a glance of ourselves in a mirror. Maybe we're getting ready in the morning, morning, maybe we just walk past the mirror at some point during the day. And I'm sure that there's some of us that spend a little more time in front of the mirror than others do. I'm sure that some of us could do a little less time in front of the mirror in a day, and looking around, there's a few that could do with a little more time uh, in front of the mirror. Uh, mostly, I find mirrors to be uh, a, a little unkind. I, I don't know about you, Do um, Mirrors like seem to be designed to show up all our flaws. Um, we sort of seem to gravitate to look at the things that we don't like about ourselves, the things that we might consider ugly or unseemly. It's easy to look in a mirror and highlight all of the things that we don't like to see. I I think it's easy for us to do the same thing with the church. To think about the church and to very quickly and immediately think of all the things that are not right. To highlight the flaws and the ugly parts and the sin and the dysfunction. It's true, we we can't ignore the things that aren't right. But how does God see his church? How does God see South Barwon as a church? What does God say when when he holds up a mirror for us to look at? He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. That's incredible, isn't it? That God would look at us and say, "That is who you are." Now, you and I—we've we, all heard parents who are who, who are talking about their kids, maybe in similar ways, sort of all glowing, gushing terms. And sometimes, if we know those children, we think. Yeah, okay. Uh, Not quite the angel that you think that they are. (laughs) But when God says this, He is completely serious. He's not looking at us through rose-colored glasses. He's he's not trying to pull a wool over anybody's eyes. He is being completely honest. It's true. Because Christ died. To make it true, it's who we are because we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for his church, who died to make his bride beautiful, holy, chosen, his very own. Two things really briefly. Firstly, this should make us very careful and very cautious about the way that we talk about the church, whether it's this church or any other church. It's really easy to to trash talk churches, isn't it? To kind of talk them down and pick on all their faults. And it's true, we we need to be discerning. We, We need to discern what is right and wrong. But we should be cautious. Because God sees his church as his holy people who belong to him, a chosen race. It's the body that the Lord Jesus died for. And we want to honor that when we talk about it. Secondly, we need to keep remembering how rich we are as his people how abundantly blessed we have been and how abundantly blessed we are to belong to the church. Because we didn't get this because we worked for it or we earned it or we deserved it. It was entirely poured on us as a gift of grace by a generous God. We need to be reminded of all that we have in Him because it's then that we're going to start thinking about what purpose there is in it. Why has he so richly blessed his church? Well, that's really what I want to think about next. I want to think about the purpose in that choosing, the purpose in that richness and that blessing that is in ours in Christ. Is it simply so that we can go, wow, how good is that? Sucks to be everybody else, but how good have we got it? Or is there something more? Well, I want to have a look, go back and have a look at two more phrases here, particularly in verse 9, because they start to explain that this is more than just blessing for the sake of blessing. There is purpose in this. The first one is I want to go back to that phrase, holy nation, because there is more in here than just. Being right with God. We mentioned this a few times in this series, but being holy has the idea of being set apart. It is set apart from the rest of the world, from sin and for evil, but set apart for a purpose, for God's purposes. Murray used that little phrase this morning as we're talking about Isaiah, fit for purpose. We've been made holy so that we can serve the holy God. We can serve his plans and his purposes. There are eternal plans of God that he has designed the church for. All right, last phrase I want to consider. It's the second one there in verse 9. We are a royal priesthood. Now, what is that one about? It does seem a little bit strange to read. We think of priests, we think about the Old Testament. And that is really what it's this is referring to or reminding us of. In the Old Testament, in Israel, there were a group of people who were the priests in Israel. They had a special function within the nation. They had been set apart from the rest, made holy from the rest. They didn't own land the same way that everybody else owned land. They didn't have jobs that everybody else did. They were set apart For God's services. Holy so that they could serve him. Particularly in and around the temple. And in that context in many ways. They became the go-betweens. For God and people. The go-betweens before a holy God. And sinful people were these priests. And so they would undergo these these special rituals. Purification so that they could serve God in the temple. They could then offer sacrifices on behalf of the nation they could then receive offerings from people to be given to god and his work they were part of presenting people acceptable to god now of course ultimately they were pointing to the great priest the lord jesus himself he was the one who would ultimately come who was holy set apart uh, right with god himself He didn't need to undergo any rituals for that because he he never sinned. And he is the one who is the ultimate go-between for God and people. And he offered the ultimate sacrifice, not an animal, but himself, so that people could be right with a holy God. So in a sense, we don't have priests anymore. I'm certainly not a priest. Uh, The elders in this church are are certainly not priests. But, as a church, we fulfill a priestly role for God. We are a royal priesthood, says God. We have become, as the church, the go-betweens for a holy God and a sinful world two ways i want to think about that just briefly firstly then we serve god in the midst of a watching world we are priests that offer sacrifices and praise and worship to god in the midst of a watching world look at how verse 10 finishes 9 finishes there it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a people that exist for his glory, for his worship, in the midst of a watching world. We worship him all of life, and we worship him when we gather together as a church as well. But not only do we do this in the midst of the world, We fulfill this role for the world. We become the go-betweens, or have become the go-betweens, for a fallen, broken world and a holy God. See, the whole way through Scripture, there is this, this ongoing theme that God blesses His people richly, wonderfully, in order that they might be a blessing. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them so that they would be a blessing to the creation. When God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he calls them and he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Genesis, uh, sorry, Psalm 67 prays, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. May God bless us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Why does God bless people? Why does He give them every riches? So that they will be a blessing to others. Now, as a younger Christian, when I, when I first sort of came to faith as a, as a teenager, um, I spent a lot of time wrestling with the idea of God's election, with, with, with his choosing. And many of us may be still wrestling with that, or we may have wrestled with that at some point during our lives. Uh, really wrestling with the like, idea, yeah, why, why does God choose some and not others? Why did God choose me? And there's a, a sense of awe and wonder, but also confusion and dread all wrapped up in that. When the Bible talks about God's choosing, it, as we said before, it, it's reason exists in the will and the plan and the purposes of God and in his, his glory and in his love. But the purpose for his choosing is really clear. He chooses his people so that they might serve him and be a blessing in this world we are set apart for him so that we might bring him glory, so that we might declare his praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why we have a mission statement here at South Barwon to make mature and mobilize committed followers of Jesus. It's designed to be a mission statement that is outward looking outward in focus, because God has richly blessed us with so much, this is the reason for it. That's our mission statement because we believe that that is what God is doing in the world and what he's doing in and through his church. Now, in many ways, this sermon today is is a lead-in to where we're going to be going next week. We're going to focus a little bit more on verses 11 and 12, which, which really start to talk about how we, we start to fulfill that role. But often when we start to talk about mission and we start to talk about evangelism, which is where we're going, our, our, our direction on that is heavily guilt-driven. This is what we should be doing. This is what we're not doing. This is what we should be doing more of. Now, undoubtedly, many of us need to repent when it comes to the area of of mission and evangelism. But guilt should not be where it starts. Because it starts with God himself and what he is doing in his world. Calling to himself a people who belong to him. Richly blessing people. Us, his church so that we might be a blessing to others. That's where it starts, considering this incredible privileged position that we have. Earlier on, this, oh, last week, uh, there was an Oprah interview, I'm led to believe, uh, that's become quite well known. Uh, I didn't watch it myself. I've read a little bit about it. I've heard a little bit of the commentary. And I'll be really upfront. I don't ha- take sides here. I don't have a dog uh, in this fight. Uh, at all. But what is interesting to see is here is this incredibly privileged family, privileged in so many different ways. But all it seems to be leading to is infighting and issues. And it's extremely sad to see, isn't it? We are royal priests to God. A richly blessed family with every privilege. And God has poured that out on us for a reason, his reason, his purposes, his plans. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we want to thank you this morning for the incredible riches that are ours in Christ. Thank you for the great treasure of knowing Jesus and having our sin forgiven, having an eternal inheritance secured for us, being kept by you for that. Thank you that there's the privilege of knowing you and knowing that our lives are in your hands. The great privilege of being a church Uh, your people together, being a family uh, to encourage one another and to serve one another and to spur one another on. Lord God, we pray this morning that as we we go from here, we would just be marvelling at all these things which are ours. But also, Lord, remembering why they have been given, remembering that they are for you and for your purpose, that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.